The flood of love of God swelled in all directions, and thus young men, old men, women and children were all immersed in that inundation. When the contents of the storehouse of love of God is thus distributed, there is a powerful inundation that covers the entire land. In, in Sri Mayapur, there is sometimes a great flood after the rainy season. This is an indication that from the birthplace of Lord Chaitanya, the inundation of love of God should be spread all over the world, for this will help everyone, including old men, young men, women and children. The Krishna Consciousness Movement of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is so powerful that it can inundate the entire world and interest all classes of men in the subject of love of Godhead. Om Gyana Timanandasya Gyananana Salakya Shakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Sigurve Nama Shri Chaitanya Mano Vistam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Svayam Rupakadamayam Dharati Svaparantikam Vandeham Siguru Siyuta Padakamalam Sikurun Vaisnavamscha Sirupam Sagrajatam Saganaraganatam Vitam Tam Sajivam Satvaitam Savadutam Prijana Saitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Si Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nichananda Si Advaita Gadada Sivasadi Gauravakta Vinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Ram Hare Hare So the uh, when Lord Chaitanya and his movement began to to spread um, first first the kirtan was going on in the house of Srivas <clears throat> and that meant nobody was was there uh, first 
that kirtan was happening very quietly. And, but then the Chantkazi came. And when the Chantkazi tried to uh, obstruct the kirtan, and when the Chantkazi broke the Murdanga, well, then it and came into the house and just broke the Murdanga. So that was a big drama, naturally. And then everyone said, no, we're not going to stop. Uh, we're not going to stop. And of course, that is when the great kirtan took place to the house of the Chantkazi. And it is said that there were thousands of Madangas playing and the beats was all synchronized, which is a miracle. And so it sounded like thun imagine, thunder clapping, right? Just like all together at the same time. Somehow or other. There were many people walking with torches and it was so, the sky became lit up to a point that it was so bright as if it was daylight. Oh. And in this way, the Sankirtan party of Lord Chaitanya went through Navadvipa. Somehow or other, the old people were the main dancers, Advaita Acharya, who was 53 years older than Nimai, so he must have been late 70s, but he was powerful and danced and roared. And Haridas was way in his 60s, and he was uh, was jumping up and down. Uh, so they were the dancers in that kirtan party. Then later, <coughs> later, after Lord Chaitanya took sannyas, he wanted to go to Vindavan, but Nichananda, by tricks, arranged that he wound up in the house of Advaita Acharya. And subsequently, uh, his mother also came, and then his mother begged the favor. And she begged the favor that during this time that he is here, I, I should be allowed to do all the cooking. And so she did. And then she cooked, and when she cooked, she put everything into it, like she never did before. And then anyone who tasted that prasadam, you know, there is prasadam and prasadam, if you know what I mean. And that was prasadam. I mean, that was prasadam like no one had ever tasted. Everyone became just overwhelmed by the greatest ecstasy. It was then that, that Nimai said, I don't know what I have done. I must have been mad. But somehow or other, I took sannyas. What do I do now? And he asked his mother. He said, what should I do? And what could she say? Now he had taken sannyas. She didn't want shame to come upon him and the family. So now that he took it, now it had to be so. But then at least, at least you go to Puri because there, there so many Bengalis are going. And devotees from Mayapur, they always go to Puri, and devotees from Puri always come to Mayapur. In this way, I'll get some news. <coughs> that is how Nimai went to Puri. In the Chaitanya Chandradoy Natak, which is a book uh, written by Kavi Karnapur, it is described that at that time, Nimai being in, uh, in Navadvip. Uh, it said then, 
<coughs> Where's that water? <coughs> then Nimai, uh, while Nimai was at the house of Advaita Acharya, there was a meeting taking place of Ganga Devi and her husband, the ocean. And Ganga is saying to her husband, she's saying, have you heard? Uh, have you heard? Uh, Nimai. Nimai. He has left. It's like, Ganga uh, says, Ganga says, has left. Then the ocean says, no, but haven't you heard he's come back? He's in the house of Advaita Acharya. Then the wife says, you never know what's going on. You know, don't you know that he's left again? He's left again. Where did he go? He went to Puri. Oh, the ocean said. Then he will be swimming in my waters. He said, you, and you don't have to worry because the wife gets half the benefit of what the husband gets, so therefore everything is fine. And she's just like, what happened? <laughs> and in this way, uh, Nimai went to Jagannath Puri. And there, uh, <clears throat> there in Jagannath Puri, um, of course, Krishna consciousness also spread everywhere. Uh, altogether, um, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu spent 18 years in Jagannath Puri. So in Orissa, everywhere, everywhere Lord Chaitanya was worshipped. Even to the point that there were temples, Chaitanya temples in Orissa during his lifetime where he was worshipped as the Supreme Lord. Um, all the Oriyas were singing Bengali bhajans, although they couldn't pronounce it properly. Right? What to speak of the uh, you know, people of other nationalities. But somehow or other, uh, it spread like that. At the time, um, even nowadays, Orissa is, about 20% of Orissa is tribal, of Bengal, 5%. And at the time of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, 50% of Orissa, Orissa was living in the forest and was basically tribal. So, in this way, uh, <clears throat> Chaitanya Mahaprabhu spread everywhere, um, spread to the followers of Vedic culture and to the, the followers of non-Vedic culture, everywhere. Um, because nothing, nothing in the world can bring fulfillment. Um, so many things in the world can bring happiness. Oh yes, feelings of happiness are experienced in the world, definitely. 
but not fulfillment. Uh, that is not found in this material world. Uh, but, of course, a Vaishnava is not in the material world. A Vaishnava is, is at least having one foot in the spiritual world. And therefore, a Vaishnava is not affected by the onslaughts of the material world. A Vaishnava is always ready, always ready to uh, somehow or other um, connect with Krishna. Uh, and because of this connection with Krishna, <coughs> okay, now we can use it. That had to come out. All the anartas. <clears throat> a Vaishnava is in this way um, always connecting with Krishna. And therefore, anything connected with Krishna is, is gaining a transcendental dimension. Anything connected with Krishna is... Um, wow. Box coming. That's a real guru profile. Uh, yes, so anything connected with Krishna um, suddenly gains that eternal dimension. Whatever it is, it immediately, if it is connected with Krishna, there is the connection of eternal benefit uh, and eternal relationship. Uh, so many temporary relationships we have. What do they mean? We have our moments that we, uh, when we wonder, what does it all mean? Uh, relationships. Uh, I mean... My parents, they died relatively early. I was 23 at the time, and they both died in the same year. And then it was strange, because somehow or other, I had been traveling, and I didn't have a picture of my mother. I didn't. And it was strange, you know, because like, geez, what, don't even have a picture now. Right? It felt like uh, yesterday she was here, today, only a memory is left, not even a picture I have now. My sister had pictures, but I didn't. And it was strange, just from one moment to the next. And then, at one point, I started to think really strange, did she ever even exist? <laughs> it got a little surrealistic, you know. Uh, but... It is like that in this material world, where all the relationships that we are having are temporary. Uh, temporary relationships with our family, temporary relationships with the place, Boma Ijati, the place of our birth. Temporary, temporary. Temporary wife, temporary children, temporary life. You know, all temporary. Ah. Uh, we were just talking over lunch 
I was invited in this wooden house, you know, guess whose. And, and everything is solid wood. So we were talking about the bed, you know, like the bed is made of like, not just an Ikea bed, you know, like something slept together from board. No, it's wood, you know. The thing weighs as much as the elephant. And that bed, a bed like that, stays for generations. And we're talking, yes, seven generations take birth in the bed and seven <laughs> generations die in the bed, you know. It never moves, it stays there. It's too heavy to move. <laughs> it's that kind of a of a house. Yes, so it's, it used to be like that, right? That a house stayed in the family. In, in, in Eastern Europe, it is still like that. You know, you still see, like, you get the house from your parents or your grandparents, and then you move in, and that's your house. And then that, if your children stay with you, then they'll get the house. Uh, devotees say, you know, should I, should I move out of the house of my father or, and move in the temple, or should I stay with your father? I said, well, you know, why not move in the temple? Yeah, but then I don't get the house. That's <laughs> 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 a big thing, you know. It's like, this is your one chance in your life to get a house. Yeah. And if you don't get it, you know, then you'll never have a house. Yeah, yeah in, in, in the West, it's not like that, you know. Somehow or other, you get a house. There's <laughs> no problem. We don't worry about it. Uh, but it is in this way uh, that in this material world, we have all these relationships with the temporary and looking for happiness in a house. Uh, but every house has a mouse. Uh, there is a famous book from... Uh, Simone de Beauvoir, who was an existentialist philosopher, the wife of, of Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, and uh, who says there is no meaning to life. In existentialism, basically, the philosophy is that there's no purpose in life and nothing has meaning. That's existentialism. So it's very dry, right? Nothing has meaning, no purpose, all that. But then... Uh, so she wrote about a man in the Middle Ages, and he had, he did an experiment, and he discovered the elixir of eternal life. Ah, you drink this juice. Ah, you drink it. Ah, good, good juice. Drink it. Eternal life you are getting. You will not die. Are you ready? So the man, he invented it, he drank it. But then he thought... How do I know that it's true, that it really works? So he thought I should test it. So what he did, he gave some or something to a mouse. Then he tried to kill that mouse, but he could not kill the mouse. <laughs> and then he realized, now I have to live forever with a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now that I start telling the story, I may as well take it a little further. Uh, <clears throat> then it says in the story that he fell in love with so much, but not that much that he wanted to give anyone eternal life. He's thinking, yeah, 
to be together forever? He wasn't sure. <laughs> so he never gave them the he never gave them the juice. But it became a problem because the thing was the children were there and they were growing up and they were they were already well in adulthood and the father didn't die. It's something like the British royalty, you know, the queen never leaves <laughs> and, and, and Prince Charles is almost a pensioner, you know what I mean? <laughs> something like that, right? It just, it never ends, right? So the whole family was just waiting for the old man to die and he wasn't dying. So it was getting a problem. And then they tried to poison him, <laughs> but it didn't work, of course. So, you know, then he lost all taste for, for family life. In the end, he lost all taste for everything. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> but in the movie, you know, in the movie, it always changes a little. In the movie, there was a, there was a nurse who came and then who brought, who he was at that time, he decided to do nothing and he was just in this asylum, sitting in a wheelchair because he didn't want to do anything anymore. But she threw his wheel, him in the wheelchair in the water one day. That woke him up. <laughs> then he started again with that nurse. Uh, what can be said? But that is not eternal life. Uh -huh. That is... That is the Hiranyakasipu eternal life, the eternal life of the material world. That comes the closest to the Christian concept of hell, where you're doomed forever. Yeah, because that's the material world. The uh, material world is a place from where we prepare to go back to the spiritual world. Mm. So when we connect with Krishna, Suddenly, everything gains uh, an eternal dimension. Mm. What is it? Just ring a bell, and, and after that, the food has changed. Sodom. Uh, just like when the dentist complained to Prabhupada and said, Sir, there are food remnants between your teeth. And Prabhupada said, No, that's prasadam. <laughs> <laughs> like that, you know, we are, uh, and this, this is, this gives everything meaning and significance. Uh, we'll chant Hare Krishna, but with not only chant Hare Krishna, not only beautiful music, but there is this eternal benefit, and more than that. Uh, not only is there eternal benefit, but we can attract Krishna. Uh, devotional service is Sri Krishna, a karsani, it can attract Krishna. So the kirtan can attract Krishna somehow or other. And he can manifest, uh, he, can, he can choose to reciprocate. And yeah, it, sometimes some magic happens in the kirtan. Or simply our kirtan can attract Krishna in our life. Um, so kirtan is a lot more than just a, a musical experience, than 
mantra meditation, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fashion to say we're doing mantra meditation, right? <coughs> what is that? We're not doing mantra meditation, we're doing kirtan. Yeah? It's, it's something, it's, it's like, it's a lot bigger than just mantra meditation. Right? We're not just meditating, everybody meditate now. <laughs> meditate. That's, but what about Krishna? What is Krishna? Krishna is the doer. Krishna is Iswara. Krishna, who is independent, he can do whatever he likes and he's not limited. He can't do whatever he likes, at least not me. Maybe you can, but not me. Gosh, you know, if I, of course, I want many things, right? Not just a few. I want many things, right? Yes. And, but uh, I can only realize some of the things. That is the nature of material life. That you have to be satisfied with less than you would have actually desired. <sighs> that you wish that life would have brought you more but, no, sorry, it's not going to come. Will it ever come? Never, never. It's not going to happen. It's not happening. I know it's not happening. That's right. And I've got news for you. It will never happen. <laughs> but, but... You never know, because anything is possible, isn't it? So it could happen. There's a pop singer who was having an album, Never Say Never. There you go, Never Say Never. <laughs> Krishna can do anything he wants. If Krishna wants, you know, yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, there are stories uh, of people suddenly becoming billionaires out of nothing. What would you do if you'd be swimming in cash? <laughs> Money everywhere. What would you do with it? At one point, don't know what to do with it. I was on a plane. So much time. I was on a plane and I came from Africa and the whole plane was full, but next to me there was an empty seat. Then this man comes walking down the aisle, African man, with a big golden chain, the kind that drug dealers wear. <laughs> And then he sat next to me and he had a book in his hand and it was the biography of Pablo Escobar. <laughs> yeah. So I said, okay. <laughs> um, 
And I asked him, are you from Nigeria? And he said, how do you know? <laughs> and he said, like, no, no, it's okay. I could say, are you from Amsterdam? Same thing. I'm f In Amsterdam, we know people from Nigeria. <laughs> there are many. We have in Amsterdam, we have Nigerians, we have Thai, right? Of course, some Chinese, you know. It's like all the guys that are into the drug business, they, they, uh, they stay, you know, they have their agents in Amsterdam. So anyway, so he found me, Nigeria and Amsterdam. <coughs> anyway, then he was reading. First in his book, then he pulled this magazine out of his pocket and he opens it up on the center page and there was pictures of head of state and it said under it how much money they had stolen. And it said Suharto from Indonesia, I'm only quoting the magazine, but it said he stole 39 billion. So uh, by that time, I was also reading the magazine. <laughs> sort of looking at like, wow, 39 billion. So he saw my eyes looking at the magazine and he goes, that's right. $39 billion, $39 billion, you couldn't spend it if you wanted to. $39 billion, you couldn't spend it if you wanted to. And guess what I was saying when I got off the plane? $39 billion, you couldn't spend it if you wanted to. It was just inconceivable, inconceivable. And that's a lot of money. We once did a calculation how much it would cost to build the whole city of Mayapur, and it came to $23 billion. We could have built Mayapur and still have the whole city, everything, and still have 14 billion left. <coughs> More, 16. Yeah, so, inconceivable, inconceivable. Oh. But all that, oh. All that. It is just, we don't have the capacity to enjoy it. Uh, the desire may be there. He had to, due to desire, he stole all that money. But ultimately, we find our limitations, our capacity. <coughs> But the eternal dimension uh, is just the opposite. I'll give one more example. You know, like in my, when it, as a kid, when it was time for the birthday, that was, of course, a very important day, because that day you could make a list of all, or before, you could make a list of all the things you'd want for your birthday, make a long list, right? And, you know, at the top, I put the brand number, the brand name, and the serial number, and everything, right? And then, my father would always buy me something, the brand that I had asked for, but one model cheaper than the one I wanted. Oh, God. That was worse than not having it, you know? And then it's, 
every time you're stuck with something that you that just is good but it doesn't quite make it you know what i mean very frustrating <laughs> if i think about it now still feel frustrated <clears throat> But this is the material world. Uh, it's exactly like that. Exactly like that. You make your whole list. Not for your birthday, for your life. It's more important, isn't it? You make your list for your whole life. Everything you want. And you never get what you want. Sometimes get something. But still not enough. Anyway, so all these examples are there. Um, so spiritual life, after we have that realization that there's not fulfillment in this material world, one might think that this is a lecture then about renouncing the material world. And I could say, uh, oh yes, we should all just renounce the world. Well, but whether we re renounce the world or not, that doesn't bring us any closer to Krishna. Mm. Uh, one can take sannyas, doesn't bring us one step closer to Krishna. Uh, then, only after, uh, do we have to try to get closer to Krishna. Uh, you can be brahmachari at, at any cost, uh, but doesn't bring us any closer to Krishna. It is devotional service that will bring us closer to Krishna. Hearing and chanting that will bring us closer to Krishna. Um, yes, our, all that service will bring us benefit. All that service will attract Krishna. And that is... Then everything becomes magic because everything becomes meaningful. Everything starts to uh, make sense. Right? It's just like, you know, like you have these people that play a card game with themselves, solitaire, right? I mean, I've never, I'm, I'm, if some of you used to do it, I mean, it's okay, you know? <laughs> but I've ne I could never get myself to do something like that. You just think like, so much waste of time, so much to do. I have the same with crossword puzzles and Sudoku and all those things, you know. I mean, I couldn't do it. Or even with computer games. You know, I've never ever in my life played a computer game. Not once. <laughs> I reckon it's just a waste of time that's okay in every joke there's some truth <laughs> mm. yeah but all these things I've wasted times in other ways I, that I've done. Um, but uh, once we get a taste, uh, 
for all that benefit that comes from spiritual activity. How could we do anything else? How could we spend our time with anything less? And then all we want to do is devotional service. And that's really the secret of life. Prabhupada gave us that. And then Prabhupada brought us to these holy dhams, which are just the abodes of devotional service. Because this is the abode of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And Lord Chaitanya appeared here 500 years ago and performed his pastimes here. And, and we just worship the Lord here. Uh, then, of course, we know um, that the Dham is non-different from the spiritual world, but covered by a layer of illusion. All right, so when devotional service is performed in the Dham, um, there are special benefits because it is said the Dham lends us ecstasy. Uh, this is called this Chai above. The Chai above or shadow reflection of ecstasy comes either in the association of a devotee who has it, or from the Holy Dham. So the Holy Dham lends us ecstasy. So that is, is very, uh, very wonderful. Just you don't have to do anything. And everyone's touched by it. Huh? I always think that when the jackals are howling at night in Mayapur, <laughs> that they're having an ecstatic kirtan. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's not just ordinary jackal howling. It's a, a peacocks. I'm not sure if it's peacocks or what. Well, I don't know, but I, I lived in Vrindavan for a long time. It, that sounded different. <laughs> See, nowadays it's not like it used to be. We used to be so many peacocks because in the late 70s in Vrindavan, there was no uh, traffic. We would get three cars a day. Three cars a day. There were no cars in India. Only, only ultra-rich people had cars. Uh, they had an ambassador. Uh, that was it. Ultra-rich people had a car. No one else had a car. And then even scooters and bikes, motorbikes, you know. And it was rare. Not many, you know. And... Uh, so it was very peaceful. Therefore, along the roads in Vrindavan, there are all, along the road, there are all these neem trees. And all these neem trees were full of peacocks. So at night, if we would take a chopper walk down the road, just down the road, there's no traffic, only rickshaws and tongas, horse carts. And then the peacocks would all sit in the trees there. What to speak on Raman Reti? And then at 3 a.m. in the morning, you'd hear a wave of peacock sound go from across Vrindavan, and it just go up and down. And the peacocks from one side of Vrindavan were calling the peacocks on the other side. <laughs> and we were in between. <laughs> After three o'clock, forget it, you know. It's <laughs> time, you know. Better than, uh, than a rooster, you know. <laughs> That's pretty ugly. That's my alarm clock. 
the peacocks, more transcendental. So yes, the Dham uh, is, is lending us its ecstasy and lending this ecstasy to all the, uh, to all the life that manifests. Uh, everything is touched by that influence of the Dham, by that ecstasy of the Dham. So are we. Therefore, in my poor, everything is easier. Everything is just much easier. Spiritual life is easier than anywhere else. There's just this little distaste of ecstasy. Mm. And then it says in scripture that if there is prolonged association, then that ecstasy can become permanent. <coughs> so that's pretty good. Uh, of course, because devotional service, wherever it is performed, is is like that, and especially when we preach Krishna consciousness, um, because that's the one thing, the one thing that where we become selfless, uh, a sankirtan devotee becomes selfless and less self-absorbed, you know, we're so self-absorbed. Whatever is happening to us is so important. Oh. Yeah, we can see that, like, uh, the modern world, uh, in the modern world, people are suffering more mental anxiety than in a traditional world where people used to just struggle hard uh, to, to grow some things, uh, to milk some cows and to pull in some grains and to before the season was over, you know what I'm saying? That kind of mood. You see in the modern times more anxiety uh, because from day one we have so much ego I was speaking about my birthday, and that's a big thing. And then it's your birthday, and it's like about you and you. Uh, I used to be in charge of, of admitting people to our ashram in Vindavan, and then I would ask them, so, what's your name, what's your birth date? No answer. Are you home? <laughs> Is it? What's your birth date? 12th, huh? 10th. 10th. See, you know. But they didn't know. They didn't know. So these boys asked him, when is your birthday? They didn't know. <laughs> I go, birthday, wake up, you know. So they didn't know. And I go like, you never celebrated your birthday? You don't know? How old are you? 27, 28. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean 27, 28? You know? Are you 27 or are you 28? What is it? They didn't know. They didn't know. They never celebrated their birthday. They didn't even know how old they were. Amazing. Right? But of course they celebrated Jamastami every year. We we never celebrated Jamastami, but we would always celebrate our own birthday. Right? 
Therefore, all these things. Therefore, we're suffering of what Carl Jung would call a swollen ego. Yeah, or Prabhupada would call it, we're puffed up. <laughs> so what to do? Uh, this is the situation. So we have an, an overestimated concept of the self. Yeah. They all think. And it's not that we think, I'm so important, you know, I am. Uh, it's not in that way, you know. It's not that we officially th uh, think, I am the most important person in Mayapur, you know, because I happen to be. No, it's not in that way. But we do think we are the most important person in Mayapur in the sense that whatever happens to us and whatever doesn't happen to us, that is the most important. In that way, therefore, in one sense, we think we're the most important person in Mayapur. Mm. So this is a swollen ego, yeah? or a case of like an inflated uh, concept of the self. What do we do about it? Yeah, uh, it's uh, now the rest of the lecture. I'll only speak from theory. What do you do about it? Uh, I also suffer from a big swollen ego. Uh, and uh, what do you do about that? Mm. But. The one thing that helps is preaching. Because when we put the interest of others before our own, and, you, and sooner or later in preaching you have to, that is what preaching forces us to do. When we try and bring Krishna consciousness to others, then sooner or later we have to put our self-interest aside. Say, well, okay, I'll miss a meal. I have later, you know, somehow or other, what to do, I'm out here, huh? I mean, you know, I have to go on now, you know, I came this far, now I'm here, I mean, I can't just leave now, right? So, preaching forces us to put our self-interest aside, our sleep, our comfort, our, all these things, and that has a great power. And in this age of Kali, what else is going to save us from self-absorption? What else? Bhajan? Uh, <coughs> 16 minutes to get through one mantra. <laughs> <coughs> A little water. No, even 16 minutes to one mantra, you know, full of prem, full of love, right? Will it save us from self-absorption? That is the question. Very difficult to rise above self-absorption. Uh, 
by some effort, by some attempt. But how easily and how automatically it is done when we start to care for others. And that's what preaching is. Preaching is not just preach, preach, preach. Take this Krishna consciousness. Preach, preach, preach. Chant and be happy. Preach, preach, preach. That's not preaching. Preaching is where we start caring for people. Strangers. This strange person. Totally strange. Ah. Yes. I'm going to care for this stranger. It's a stranger. Actually, everybody is strange. <laughs> I don't know why Krishna arranged it that way. That everybody is strange and that only I am normal. <laughs> you have that also. <laughs> Somehow or other. This, you know. Somehow it's like that. But now, uh, somehow or other, yes, the pure devotee, uh, the pure devotee, to tell you the truth, has upset my life. Uh, totally, completely. Started this kirtan and started preaching the glories of the holy name and now the result is, is that I lost faith in everything I was doing. I used to have faith in all the things I was doing. Now I lost it. And now by the, it's the fault of the pure devotee that I now believe only in Krishna consciousness. And as a result, my material life is spoiled. What do I do now? Only option left. is to preach Krishna Consciousness if I want to if I want to actually rise above thinking about myself yeah it's the only way so with that we're going to chant Hare Krishna for one hour at five o'clock so it's almost five o'clock. So any questions or comments to all of this? That was enough. Okay. I'll drink some.